Thank you for tuning in to Church on the Rock podcast. We have a great sermon in store for you. We hope this message challenges you, builds you, and motivates you into taking the next step in your purpose with God. Enjoy the sermon. You can just say amen. 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 Well, I am excited about the word tonight. I'm just believing God that it will come forth in the manner in which I received it. Um, We know that last week, Pastor Keith, during prayer, he began to introduce the subject of grace. And then Wednesday night, he began to talk about grace moments and grace events. Amen. And so I want to stay in that same flow of grace. Amen. So we'll be talking about staying in the free-flowing grace of God tonight. Amen. Grace moments and grace events. The example that he gave was if we saw a turtle sitting on a post, we know that that turtle didn't get there by himself. And God has a plan for each and every one of us. And that plan is so mass, it's so great that we cannot get there within our own ability. We can't get ourselves there. It's going to require God and his spirit to get us there. Amen. And so this is why the grace of God is so important because it it cannot, the plan that God has for us cannot be accomplished, but by his grace. We can't achieve the plan in our own strength. We can't use our earthly resume, our abilities, our gifts, everything that makes us so great in a natural. That doesn't qualify you for the plan that God has for you. Amen. So your ability, your natural ability, neither qualifies you nor disqualifies you. What God has for you is going to require your complete, total reliance and trust upon him and his power. Amen. So what is grace? And people sum up the grace definition different ways. But if you read it in the Greek, it talks about grace being God's unmerited, undeserved, free help. It talks about grace being favor. God's kindness, God's joy, his ability, happiness, God's ability working in you to accomplish his purposes and his good pleasure. Grace is God treating and dispensing gifts to you as if sin never touched your life or or was ever present. God's grace is treating you like you've never made a mistake ever in your life, never a day. God's grace is his divine favor upon your life. Um, I want to read a couple of statements about the grace of God. And this first one is Smith's Wigglesworth. He said, the grace of God gives us the ability to live above the ordinary human plane of life. The same unction, the same zeal, the same Holy Ghost power is at our command as was at the command of Stephen and the apostles. We have the same God that Abraham had, that Elijah had, and we need not come behind in any gift or grace. That's Smith Wigglesworth. Pastor Nancy said that grace is not getting what we deserve, but getting what's being offered. I don't want what I deserve. I want what God is offering. Amen. And so that is what grace is, is getting what is being offered. And God is offering us good. He's offering us good things, blessings for both here in the natural and in the spiritual. Amen. And I don't want to just focus tonight about about us collecting and accumulating natural things. Because grace and what Jesus has done for us is so much more than a full bank account. It's so much more than living in a gated community. What Jesus did for us and the grace that he extended to us put us in a spiritual place. It put us in an eternal place with God where we are now delivered from his wrath. So the day of judgment, we don't have to worry about God's wrath. It says that God's grace that Jesus put, that we have through Jesus is we have peace with God. So grace is so much more than us getting our nice cars and us getting our nice homes. Grace is that I'm just in right standing with God. It's that God is not mad at me. God is not out to get me. God is not angry toward me. Oh, what good is that grace that God has given us in Christ Jesus? I like that Jesus, when he's talking about this grace and about being in right standing with God, he said that, Lord, this is eternal life. That they may know you. 
See, what Adam did, his disobedience took us out of right standing with God. He separated us from God's goodness. He separated us from that commune with God. He separated us from the presence of God. He separated us from the plan of God. The first Adam in Romans 5, I guess we'll go ahead and go there. I didn't put that in my notes, but I guess we'll go there. Romans 5. Because I think it's important for us to understand why we need the grace of God and what's being provided. He said, this is eternal life that they may know you, the one and true God, meaning that we were in a place where we couldn't know God. Even when we wanted to know him, we couldn't know him because our sin had separated us from him. And it was nothing that we did our own, but it was the disobedience of the first man, Adam. That's why we're so grateful for Jesus is because he put us in a place that we couldn't put ourselves. We couldn't put ourselves back in right standing with God because what God required was perfection. And nobody was batting a thousand. But we thank God for Jesus who came and fulfilled the requirements of the law. So now everything that we're receiving, we're receiving on behalf of what belongs to Jesus. And so I'm hoping tonight that I can be a vessel of God where he speaks through me to allow you to stop looking at yourself because we have it twisted. God is not doing the good, the blessing, and all that we're proclaiming because you've been so good. He's doing it because of Jesus. We're able to approach the throne of grace in a time of need because of Jesus. We're able to grab hold and take hold in this covenant because of Jesus. Amen. Romans 5. Are y'all there? Let's see. Romans 5. Let's go to 12. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered into the world and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because of sin. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam unto Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is of type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one that many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for on the hand of the judgment arose for one transgression resulted in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose for many transgressions resulted in justification. For if by the transgression of one death reigned through one, through by, for if by the transgression of the one death reigned through one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So death reigned because of Adam's disobedience. But God is saying that grace is reigning and much more because of Jesus's obedience. Amen. And it goes on. Let me see. Verse 19, for as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. So we, from it says from Adam to Moses, and I was asking today while I was studying, why was it just from Adam to Moses? But it, Moses is the one that presented, to, presented the law. So they were sinning and showing out, but they didn't know it because there was no standard, there was no law to expose their sin. So from Adam to Moses, it said death reigned because of sin. So sin comes with consequences. And death was a consequence. Sickness is a consequence. Poverty is a consequence. Mental illness is a consequence. Ailments in your body is a consequence. Discord is a consequence. Not having a sound mind is a consequence. Those are all consequences of sin. We've heard about generational curses, but we don't speak much about the generational grace and blessing that God has given us of us that have gotten into Jesus Christ. And so sin, because of the disobedience, sin and death reign. And God is saying, how much more? It says where sin abound, 
Grace did much more. So God is just not trying to give you a little grace for the sin that abound. He's not just restoring us back, back to a place, but he's doing much more. We're way better off than we were before. Amen. And so grace abounded much more because of Jesus. But I want you guys to see this, that when Adam disobeyed God, he opened up a door. Some people say they opened up a can of worms. And you were wrong, not because of your decision, but because of his decision. Even when you tried to be right, you couldn't be right because the lambs and the sacrifices of animals didn't do much for your sin. It required the innocent blood of the Son of God. But just like Adam opened up a door of curse, of separation, of death. Jesus opened up a better door. And from that door springs forth forgiveness, redemption, deliverance, provision, being in right standing with God. Much more grace is abounding through the door that Jesus has opened for us. And that's why we have to be thankful for what Jesus did for us on the cross, how he took our place. The Bible says that if we believe in him, then we died with him. And our old man was buried with him. So that means if my old man was buried with him, the consequences of that old man was buried with him. Whatever I did in that old man, it was buried when Jesus was buried. And it says when he got up, that we got up. So I didn't get up. That old man stayed there. But when I got up, I got up in him. So I am no longer being classified or identified by who I was. Paul said, not I live, but it's, it's Christ that's living in me. No longer do I live. So I no longer respond to the consequences or the acts that took place in the old man. Because that man died. And if you go to a graveyard, we pass a couple coming here. You go to a graveyard where people are just dead in their casket. They're unresponsive. They're unresponsive. You can walk past them and you can go talk about the good and the bad that they did in life and tell them what so-and-so was saying. They ain't moving. They don't hear you. They're unresponsive. They're dead. And the same way with the old man. I am no longer responding to the consequences. 1 Peter 2.24 says that by his stripes that we were healed, that he took the consequences of our sin. And so if he took the consequence. I don't have to take the ailment in my body. I don't have to take the discord in the family. I don't have to take not having peace. Because that died with the old man. Now I'm in line for what Jesus is providing and what Jesus is offering. And that's what I want. Amen. So let's go to Genesis 7, 17. Just took you there and y'all can read all of Romans. That's why it's not by works that we are saved. No man could do enough to earn right standing with God. So now I want to talk. The Bible says that the word of God is given to us for instruction, and we can learn from those in the Bible. Um, and we're going to talk about those grace moments and those grace uh, events. But I want to start with Genesis 17. And I want to talk about when God came to Abram or Abraham. Because a lot of times... When God asks us to do something, we begin to look at ourselves. We begin to look at our own ability. You know, we try to see, okay, do I have what it takes to do that? But God is not asking you, do you have what it takes? When he's coming to you, he's not coming based on the ability that he sees that you have in the natural. He's coming based on the ability that he's deposited in you. Amen. Genesis 17. Now, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared, appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will establish my covenant between me and you. And I will multiply, multiply you exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face. And God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. And you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I will make you, somebody say, I will make you, 
the father of a multitude of nations. And I will make you exceedingly fruitful. So the grace of God comes to make us fruitful. And I will make nations of you and kings shall come forth from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. Amen. Amen. And we're part of this covenant. And I want to go to verse 17. Because God presented Abraham with this grand plan, right? And Abraham fell on his face, verse 17, and laughed and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? <laughs> and Abraham said to God, oh, just that Ishmael might live. Lord, just let what I created in the natural for your promise, let that be it. Let him live before thee. But God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. So God's grace is coming for generations, but it's also coming for nations. But it's interesting, as I thought about these grace moments and these grace events, that when God came to someone to present what he's purposed them to do, this is why you were born. This is why you existed. And the thing is, God is not making up your call as it goes. The moment you were born was proof that God has already had a plan that's already prepared for you to walk in. But it's going to take grace moments in order for us to walk in those plans. Amen. But Abram looked, and I like that God said that, I will no, that you will no longer be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. And the same way he gave Abram a new name, he gave us a name. And the name that he gave us is greater than all names. It's above all names. It says at this name. So you're no longer identified as the name that your parents gave you upon birth. You are now being identified as in him. Amen. So in Jesus Christ, that's the name that now we begin to occupy and use and walk in authority throughout the earth. When Jesus was praying for his disciples, he said, Lord, the name that you've given me, I'm now giving it to them. So we have to understand the power and the ability that's in that name. Yeah, yeah. So when Abram got a name change, we did too. Because the Bible says if you be Christ, yeah. then you are Abram's seed. Because right. I don't know if any of y'all can find y'all's government name in those scriptures. But you can find us being in him. Amen. And so Abraham began to look at himself. Can a 90, 100-year-old man have a baby? And look at my wife, she's 90 years old. We're, we're beyond the years of producing. And I love this about God, is because sometimes he'll wait till you cannot, you've gotten to the end of your ability. You've gotten as far as your strength can take you. You've gotten as far as your education can take you. You've gotten you as far as your wit can take you. And then God steps in. It said that the promise is still true. The promise still stand. Your business is going to be one of the greatest ones in the city. I'm still making you a great nation. I'm still making you great. The promise doesn't change because your body is no longer producing. That's what I love about the word of God, that when he gives it, the Bible says that no word goes from God and returns to him void. He has no expectation of the word coming back to him unfulfilled. But it requires us to get in faith and believe God. We know that in the word that the Bible says that Abraham began to believe God. He glorified God, waxed strong in faith, giving glory to God, knowing that God was able to do what he was promising. We have to begin to see that God is able to do and perform every word that he's given us. We don't have to try it in our own strength. He's given us grace, which is his strength. And that's what's going to get the job done. Go to Exodus 3.13. We're talking about grace moments. God birthing a nation through Abraham, that's a grace moment. It was, a, it was impossible, but he believed God. Exodus 3.13, and this is about Moses. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, 
and I shall say to them, and this is when God, when Moses encountered God in the desert, and they're having a conversation, and God began to tell Moses about the call that he's always had on his life. Because the Bible says that when Moses was born, that he was a beautiful child, the grace was upon him, upon birth. That while they were killing all the other babies, his mom was prompted to do something about preserving this child because of the grace that was on him. And the grace took him to the place where this government was persecuting and killing his kind, but grace took him there and raised him up in this home, trained him, fed him. I'm talking about the people that put a death sentence on his people, this, this government. But God decided to let them pay for your education. Let them pay for your home and your boarding. Let them put the clothes. He let them do it. That's grace. We're not going to have to pay for some things. There's some things where, where, where bills are being paid for us. Homes are being given to us because of the grace. 13, then Moses said to God, behold, I am going to the son of Israel, and I shall say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? You know, because they're going to question you. Do, you. do you know our God, Moses? We know who you are. We know where you came from. He said, what name am I going to give him? Verse 14, and God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now go to Exodus 4.15. And they're still having this conversation. God goes and tells them what he's going to do and how he's going to do it. Let's start at 4.10. Let's start at 4.10. Exodus 4.10. Then Moses said to the Lord, please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in the time past. Lord, ain't nothing changed. I couldn't speak when I was at Pharaoh's house and I can't speak out here since I've been in the desert. Neither recently nor in time past, nor since thou hast spoken to thy servant. For I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Again, we see a man looking at his own ability after the word of the Lord has come to him. He began to examine himself to see how he's even qualified to do what it is that God is calling him to do. What God is calling you to do is not going to be based on your qualifications. He's calling you knowing that you can't speak and that you have a staff. He knows that, but yet he's calling you because of the grace. And he said, and the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? (laughs) You're telling me that you can't speak? I am the God who made man's mouth. I formed you in your mother's womb. Who are you talking to, Moses? He said, or who makes him dumb or deaf or sin or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then go, and I, and even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. I love this, that his mouth to him was his disqualifier. His mouth was his insufficiency. But God said, since you don't have confidence in your mouth, I'll be with your mouth. And I will teach your mouth on what to say. And God is saying the same with us. Paul even said, in my weakness am I strong. God said that I am going to partner with your weakness. I am going to partner with your insufficiency. I'm going to extend my grace. And I will be with your mouth. Hallelujah. I will be with your mouth. I don't know what you feel like is disqualifying you. I don't know if it's your age. I don't know if it's your upbringing. I don't know if it's because you were on this side of the tracks or that side of the tracks. God said, I will be with you in that very thing. And I will teach you what to say. I will teach you how to negotiate deals. I will teach you how to walk in boardrooms where you have no experiences. I will teach you. Isn't it a beautiful thing that God said that I will be your teacher? I will be your mentor. You know, a lot of us in the business world and young and entrepreneur, we're looking for mentors. We're looking for somebody to help us for in the areas where we don't know what to do. But sometimes we can misplace that dependency. 
Because our dependency should be upon God. Just like the Lord told Moses, I'm going to help you. I will be with your mouth <laughs> and teach you what you are to say. But he said, please, Lord, now send the message by whomever thou will. Just don't let, don't let it be me. Then the anger of the Lord burned against Moses. And he said, is there not your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know that he speaks fluently. And moreover, behold, he is coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. And you are to speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I, even I, will be with your mouth and his mouth. And I will teach you what you are to do. So I thought this was very interesting in verse 15, even though he still felt like he was not competent to do it. And God is so gracious. He said, your brother be happy to do it. He'll be, he'll be happy to help you. This just showed me that God will send people that are happy to help you. But the key to the help, he gave him instructions. He said to put the words in his mouth. He said, and you are to speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will even be with your mouth and his mouth. So the key to our victory and to anyone that is assigned to help us is to put the word that God has given us in their mouth. Or can I put it this way? The key or the success of this church was for Pastor Keith to put the words that God has given him through the prophecies in our mouth. And as God is with him, so will he be with us. God is saying, that's why it's so important that he's given us those words. And I've even lagged and tried to understand, like, why do, you know, why do we need, that's your, that's all about you, you know, the church. But God is saying, no, you're a part of what I'm wanting to do in Nashville. You are a part of the revival that I am gearing up in Nashville. But the key to it is putting the word that I've given your man of God in your mouth. He's only... Obligated. God is only obligated to perform his word. So as long as his word is in your mouth, God is performing his word with signs, wonders, and miracles. I like that the psalmist said that the angel of the Lord bends down and listens to me as I pray. He's listening for the word of God. Exodus. We're talking about Moses, the God that called him to deliver a nation. God called Abraham to birth a nation. You're going to need grace to birth a nation, Abraham. Moses, you're going to need grace to deliver a nation. Then he made Joseph second in command and the most powerful in a nation. And as I began to track these grace moments, I began to see the covenant active, the grace active in each descendant life when it concerns nations. So I said, Lord, enlarge my thinking, enlarge my thinking. We've just been thinking too small. We've just been thinking about Dickinson Road. We've just been thinking about our little business on the corner. No, God is calling us to the nations and it's gonna take grace to do it. Genesis 41, 43. And y'all can just write that down. Joseph was sold into slavery in teenage years by his brothers. Teenager. Didn't get his college degree. Don't really have much work experience. But Joseph's story, God was able to bring him from prison and make him second in command, the most powerful man of a nation. With no experience in, experience on, in economics or government, but it was just the grace of God. The Bible also says that the grace of God is his wisdom and his knowledge, his wisdom. We know what to do. We know what to say in those moments because his grace is going to be extended to the, us in those moments. And I mean, and, and Moses, when you think about it, he was a murderer. God sent a murderer and they knew him as a murderer. They said, who told you that you are judge and ruler? Who made you that? What happened? Because the last time we saw you, you murdered somebody. So what you, what you doing? But it was the grace of God that turned a murderer 
into a deliverer. And I just think it's important to pay attention to our track and how God is using us. Because the same people that, that Moses was birthed into, this family, this, this lineage of people, he was educated in Pharaoh's house, best school system. Spoke probably different languages, you know. But his people were in bondage. And God went to him because he said, their cries have come up to me. And I didn't train you in this home just for you to live the good life. Because the Bible says at a certain time that it came to his mind that those were his people. That was his uncle. The people that have structured your palaces. The people that washed your back. Did your dirty laundry. Swept the floors. Those are your people. And God sent this murderer. And he, the reason he became a murderer is because he tried to accomplish the will and the purpose of God in his own strength. It wasn't that God wasn't going to use him to deliver him, but he wasn't going to use it in his own strength. Moses, you were on it, but you were just trying to do it the wrong way. And a lot of times we're, we're occupying in the lane that God has called us to do, but we're doing it in our own strength. And God is saying, step out of your strength and tap into my strength. Get into my grace because I have a better way to do it. But I love God's mercy. That he didn't discount him or throw him away because he messed up in his own strength. But he visited him again and said, now, Moses, you are ready. Now you realize you couldn't do it on your own. Now you realize it wasn't going to be your ability. Now you realize that, that that unction, that fire, yeah, it was there, but it wasn't for you to do it in your own strength. Now I'm sending you back to the house that raised you. Sending you back to the people that you were supposed to be like. But I'm sending you back with my grace. He said, tell them that I am. That I am. They'll know that. I am. And that's what he is to us. Is I am. Grace is I am. Whatever we need him to be in that moment, that's what he is. I am. Amen. Let's go to Zechariah. We're getting there. Six. Abraham had a birth a nation by grace. Moses had to deliver a nation by grace. Joseph reigned a second in command by grace. Amen. Zechariah. Y'all, I've studied out of so many different Bibles. <laughs> Okay, there we go. Zechariah 4, 6. Four, six. And this is about Zerubbabel, who was called to lead the people to rebuild. And the word of the Lord came to him in verse 6, Hebrews 4, 6. Then he answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. What are you, verse 7, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You will become a plain, and he will bring forth, and he will bring forth the top stone with shouts of grace, grace to it. So Zerubbabel was supposed to lead the people, the nation, to rebuild the temple. And the word of the Lord came to him because he had encouraged the men that were coming back to rebuild that you guys, you're not going to do this by might. It's not going to be by your strength. It's not going to be by your power or your back. It's going to be by the spirit. He had to set an expectation for the men so that they don't get discouraged. I realize that when we're not operating in grace, there's a struggle and a toll to it. There's a frustration. There's a, it's a hardness to it. But when you're operating and depending on the spirit of God, it's light and easy. And he's saying that this project is going to be one that is light and easy because it won't be done by might nor by power, but by my spirit says the Lord. 
And then he said, what is this? It was a great mountain because the time that they were rebuilding in wasn't desirable. It wasn't a time that was favorable. So God is able to give us grace in unfavorable times. It looks like Pastor Keith, like he said, we shouldn't be building in a pandemic, but there's a grace being dispensed to the people of God to do what God has called us to do. He said, what is this great mountain before Zerubbabel? He said, this mountain will be made become like a plane that I am going to bring it down and you're going to march across with this stone. And the stone was the final piece of the construction of the building. And you're going to march and you're going to place it in place. But the response to this mountain coming down and you walking on what was a mountain, but now is made flat plain, bringing the stone, the final piece to what God has called you to build. He said the response is grace, grace to it. So what God is wanting to do in our lives is bring mountains, things that look like it's hard, opportunities, opportunities that doesn't look like it's achievable. He wants to bring it down and make it plain. And he said that once I manifest and bring to pass the plan, the only thing you're going to be able to do is say grace it was nothing but the grace of God our education system is not going to get the credit your decree is not going to get the glory your home that you came from is not getting the glory your upbringing is not getting the glory it says grace 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 it was nothing but the grace of God working in on and through me it says that God is working in us to do and to will. Grace. Hebrews, he said, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Ephesians 6.17 tells us to put on as your helmet, put on salvation as your helmet, and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Hebrews 4.1 says, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So he said that it's not going to be by might nor by power, but by my spirit. And Ephesians tells us that the sword of the spirit is the word of God. So it's only going to be by the word of God that this grace is taking place in our lives. That's why it is imperative for us to get in the word and find out who we are and what belongs to us and what we can do. Because grace is upon his word. Nations. Psalms 2.8 says, ask of me. And I should give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. One translation said, ask of me and I will give thee nations. God is wanting to enlarge the way we see what is being offered. He said that I've become a father to you and you are a son. Ask of me and give it to you and I'll give it to you. When Jesus was in the wilderness, the enemy tempted him with the kingdoms of the world. I'll give you these nations. And it's funny that the enemy will offer you something that already belongs to you. But if you don't know that it belongs to you, you're like, oh, that sounds like a good deal. No, the house already belongs to you. Peace already belongs to you. Healing already belongs to you. Deliverance belongs to you. A mighty home belongs to you. The Bible says wealth and, wealth, wealth and riches are in our, it belongs to me. So Satan, you can't bamboozle me. He can't bamboozle you when you, when you know the grace that's been provided. John 1 verse 14. And I'm going to read this and I'm just going to read these scriptures and we're going to and amen. Are y'all getting something? John 1 verse 14. And so the living expression became a man. And this is the passion translation became a man and lived among us. We gazed upon his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father overflowing with tender mercy and truth. John announced the truth about him when he taught the people. He's the one. He's the one I've been telling you would come after me, even though he ranks far above me because he existed before I was ever born. 
and from the overflow of his fullness, we receive grace heaped upon more grace. The in your well, in my Bible, the note says gift after gift, grace upon grace, gift after gift we have received through Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Luke 2.52, it was talking about how Jesus grew in statue and in wisdom and in divine favor with God and with man. I'm talking about the grace because we need this grace. We need what is being offered. And God is saying that if Jesus needed it, how much more do you need it? Everything that we saw Jesus doing, he was doing it with being full of God's grace. It said he grew in it. So it's possible for all of us to be experiencing different levels of grace right now. But God's saying whatever level you're experiencing currently, there's much more. There's much more available. Amen. Go to Acts 6. Because the, um, Smith Wigglesworth said that this grace comes upon us to help us or cause us to rise above the ordinary human plane of life. In Acts 6, 8, this is about Stephen, an ordinary man. And when you're there, you can say amen. Acts 6 and verse 8. And this is when the apostles were having to choose men to serve the people so that they can stay devoted to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Um, verse 6 says, let's go to verse 7. And the word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of them, great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. And Stephen was an ordinary man. But being full of the spirit and full of grace, it caused him to rise higher. He wasn't one of them, but because he was so committed to the word of faith, and he was so full of the spirit and full of God's grace, it says that in his power, he was performing great wonders and signs among the people. This is an ordinary man. And what I like about Stephen is after he preached, you go to seven and eight, he preached, and the people got upset about what he was saying. And they began to stone him. And the Bible says that he looked up to heaven and saw heavens open. And he said, I see my Lord standing at the right hand of the Father. We know that when Jesus went to heaven that he sat and took his right, rightful place. But this man who was full of grace and power proclaiming the good news through the earth, boldly and unashamed was being martyred. Jesus stood up. It said, I saw my Lord and Savior standing at the right hand. But the Bible told us that he was seated. So that means that Jesus got up when he saw someone occupied and moving, full of grace, full of conviction of the Holy Ghost and power. Jesus stood up and welcomed him. It's interesting because it seemed like in one of those movies that in that moment that Stephen could be looking up and all this sound could be going on, but it was like he was so in tune with his Lord and Savior, that nothing around him was affecting him. Being full of grace. That they can be talking about stoning you and taking you out, but you're so tuned into Jesus. Because what we're doing, we're doing it all in the name of Jesus. It's Jesus' grace and it's his glory. We're not doing it for our own reputation. We're doing it for Jesus. And everything that we're doing, be it being a mother, being a wife, being a good community citizen, by the grace of God, Jesus is watching. That showed me that Jesus is watching. The Bible says that we have such a great cloud of witnesses. They are watching to see how you're operating in this fullness of grace. What an honorable moment that the Lord and Savior stood up. And saw him. He said, into your hand I place my spirit. 
And then as they were stoning him, he dropped to his knees. He said, but forgive them. Grace gives you the ability to forgive. In the midst of being stoned. In the midst of being persecuted. In the midst of being talked about. In the midst of not being liked. Grace gives you the ability to say, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Jesus is watching and seeing how we're using this grace because it's available to all of us. It's available to all of us. And Smith Wigglesworth said that we should not lack. We should not lag behind in any gift of grace. So if Abraham was birthing nations and Moses was delivering and they were affecting nations, how much more is your life how much more is God calling for your life to affect more than just your home? God told Abraham, through you, many, all families of the earth are going to be blessed. All of them. Not just your house, not just your four. The grace to bless the homes around you. Amen. Can I read these last two scriptures? 1 Corinthians 15, 9 through 11 in the New Living Translation. For I am the least of the apostles. In fact, I am not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. This is Paul talking. But whatever I am now, <laughs> I love this about Paul, whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me. And not without results. So the grace of God is not being poured out for you to be ineffective. The grace of God is being poured out for you to be effective. He said, he poured his special favor out on me and not without results. For I have worked harder than any of the other apostles. Yet it was not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. He said, whatever I am, whoever I am that I am. And I like that he, called, he, he began to say I am because I am is the same name that God gave Moses. And Paul said, whoever I am, I am, whoever I am become. It's been by his grace. I know that I wasn't worthy. I persecuted the church that I'm now taking the gospel to. But it's interesting that he said that I have worked harder than all the other apostles. See, what y'all may not understand about Paul is it looked like he got the revelation a little too late because he didn't get the walk with the original crew. But God is saying that it may look like you are falling behind. It may look like you're lagging behind in zeal. You may not, you may was not in that meeting. You may have missed that meeting. You may didn't come all the, through all the uh, years of what the people before you are experienced, but God is saying that if you receive my grace, I'll catch you up, but not only catch you up, I'll take you farther. Paul said, I went farther than the other apostles. He said, I preached harder than the other apostles. I had more revelation than the other apostles because I was doing it knowing that it wasn't anything in my strength. I was doing it knowing that I didn't deserve to preach the Jesus that I persecuted. I did it knowing that I didn't deserve to even carry his name. So whatever I am, whatever you've seen me do, whatever you've heard me say, it was nothing but his grace. And that gives you the, the power and the strength to go for it. makes you want to run harder because you know I'm not even qualified. I don't have the education. I don't have the training. But what I do have is the knowing and relationship that I have with Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, and his spirit that's on the inside of me. Ephesians 1 says, says, 1, 7 says, since we are now joined to Christ, we have been given the treasures of redemption by his blood, the total cancellation of our sins. God is not even dealing with you. He's not even talking to you about your sins anymore. God is talking to you about the blessings. God is wanting to talk to you about what he has in store. Why do you keep bringing up what you did? 
He doesn't even deal with you on that basis anymore. All because of, and this is the Passion Translation, all because of the cascading riches of his grace. This super abundant grace is already working, is already powerfully working in us, releasing all forms of wisdom and practical understanding. The word says that this grace is already working in us. So if you are a believer and you're filled with the Holy Ghost, right now this grace is already working in you mightily. Whether you knew it or not, the Bible says that it's already working in us and it's releasing all forms of wisdom and practical understanding. 2 Timothy 2.1, the Passion Translation. I'm giving you these scriptures so you can go back and get acquainted with them. 2 Timothy 2.1, the Passion Translation. Timothy, Paul's telling Timothy, my dear son, live your life empowered by God's free-flowing grace, which is your true strength. Don't think it's anything else. Don't think it's your eloquence. Don't think it's your looks. Don't think it's your connection. Your true strength is God's flowing grace. Found in the anointing of Jesus and your union with him. So we find the strength in, our, in the anointing of Jesus. But as we begin to commune with him, this grace becomes our strength. In Acts 20, 32, y'all can write Acts 4, 33 down about grace, great grace being upon them all. But Acts 20, 32, now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up. And this word build, when I looked it up in the Greek, it has the same root word as architect. It's able, I had to look up what, what exactly architects do. They're, more, they're responsible for more than the finished product of a building. They create a design. They create it or they restructure it or they rebuild it. And he said, I commit you to the word of his grace, which can create or construct a design or an image in you. This grace has to get in you before you ever experience it on the inside of you. He said, I commit you to the word of his grace. And the word is able to give you a new image concerning your body being healed and whole. The, the word of grace is able to give you a new image, reconstruction, refigure the picture that you're seeing when it comes to your prosperity and longevity. The word of grace is able to build you up. It's able to restructure and give you an image of being the wife that God has called you to be. It's able to give you the correct image of being the mother that God has called you to be. It's able to give you the correct image of being the servant and the minister of God that God has called us to be. But the more we get in it, the more it builds. But the longer we stay far away from it, we build something and when we, we, we step away from it. And so the building, have you ever walked past, rolled past a building that just step never seems to get completed? It never seems to get finished? If we don't commit, Dr. Rogan says, and he's been saying this for years, word saturation will solve any problem. We have to stay in the word long enough until we get the image that God is presenting to us. We have to get so saturated in the word that it solves the issue of drought. Because I now know what's on the inside of me, amen? So if you would just stand to your feet with me,